Welcome back to another episode of Between the Lines with your host, John Myers. Today we are joined once again by Major League Baseball umpire Dan Bellino and today's guest host, Grant Prees. So to start off, I would like to thank both of you guys for coming on. And so, yeah, we can just jump right into it. Yeah. Um, Grant, if you want to start us off. Yeah. Uh, so obviously there's been kind of a pandemic going on and that definitely affected baseball in a lot of capacities. Can you kind of talk about how COVID just impacted a how you did your job and also be just the overall experience of being an umpire in the major leagues? Because I know, you know, for a lot of time, like fans weren't even in the stadium. So, you know, how did that kind of work out? Sure. Uh, it's a great question. We had uh, obviously the pandemic hit everybody and we were in the middle of spring training when it hit us. So we were right on the, the cusp of starting the season and then there was a, a period of two to three months. We didn't know if we were going to play a season. So um, knowing that there was some uncertainty when we started getting things under control and, and getting an idea that we were going to start up and do a, a shortened season, the 60 game season format was presented and working games with masks on and uh, traveling with the teams uh, was something we had never done before. We always flew commercial, but because of the pandemic, we were flying on on the planes with the teams. And so we were uh, we were working in, in much closer proximity to the players and the, the coaches and uh, the personnel. So in a lot of ways, it had some very positive unintended consequences in the sense that it, it really helped build relationships uh, and a better understanding what umpires do and uh, and maybe a better understanding from my perspective as to how the players go about their business as well. You know, that that was a really big learning experience for me to see them, how they travel, see how they flip the switch from being on the field to, uh, you know, the, going about their business and traveling with their traveling secretaries and, and how many people it's a traveling show. I mean, they, it's not yeah. a it's not a small operation, but uh, as far as working games without fans in the stands, that was eerie it was it was creepy because you would hear conversations that you didn't ever hear before just normal conversations in the corner of the dugout where you know your ears are just like did, did he just say that and you just mm -hmm. you're not supposed to hear that talk yeah. so yeah. uh one thing baseball did that was really cool was they they filtered in the um over the loudspeakers they yeah. filtered in the ea mm -hmm. sports the you know mlb the show yeah yeah so that was cool. So it drowned out some of the the conversations, but it was definitely strange. When you look in the stands, there's no fans. It was it was strange. Yeah. Besides getting to know the players a little bit better and vice versa, the players getting to know you a little bit better. Was there any other way that that kind of impacted the dynamic between the umpires and the players? Well, I, I wouldn't say necessarily as a result of COVID. I think I think the relationship is always fluid. I think that there's a lot of turnover in players because they have such a, a short period of time to perform. You know, that's a small window mm -hmm. them, uh, where umpires are, we're, we're, we're tenured. We're in there till basically till we retire or until we die. And so it's more of a, a comfortability factor, them getting to know us. Uh, as long as we remain professional and approachable, we really should be, you know, stay above the fray. Don't take things personally and understand that the, the, the role that we serve is to make sure that the game is played fairly, that that's it. We're we have no vested interest. 
Uh, we don't care who wins. We don't care who loses. We just want to make sure it's fair. And you spend the first five to 10 years of your career establishing, a, a, you know, a uh, establishing kind of a reputation amongst the teams. And then once they understand how you go about your business, then it, it kind of gets a lot easier. You don't run into the, the challenges on a day-to-day -day basis where they're wondering, how far can I push this guy? Or if I yell at him, what will he do? Will it affect his performance? Will he change his calls? That type of stuff that really doesn't happen at the major league level. But, uh, you know, it, it happens at all levels where they try. But really at the major league level, it should be something that you shouldn't be affected either way if they're yelling at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a, another question kind of about just the COVID season. Were you a fan of like the new 60 game format and the extended, you know, playoff format or did you miss the 162 game season? Well, I, I, I think so in 2020, when we did the 60 game season, I was ecstatic because understand the, the alternative was to have no season. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it was, it was either we play 60 or we, we play zero. Um, so getting out there and doing it, I think brought a lot of uh, comfortability to you know people at home that they had something to watch on tv you know i think baseball is somewhat of a calming influence and fans that are able to turn it on turn on the tv and watch a ball game i think it does kind of put things back to normal um you know as far as 162 games i think 162 is a lot it's mm -hmm. in a regular season it's a grind and this past year under the same covid protocols working 162 Guys, it was tough. Like it was, it was more of a grind than it had ever been before. And flying on planes with masks and uh, you know car services and every precaution that you have to take and the testing that we underwent and then it, it was it was uh, a full time job just staying on top of the protocols. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just so, like you guys are experiencing in school, because I know my yeah. my kids yeah. in school, it's. Who would have ever envisioned you sitting in a classroom for eight hours a day wearing a mask, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's you think like that's it's suffocating. Well, now put yourself on an airplane and do that every three to four days. And, you know, some flights are shorter than others. But uh, sometimes you just got to take the mask off and be like, man, I got to breathe. This, is, yeah. this isn't easy. Mm -hmm. So do you prefer, at least in the COVID format, do you prefer the 60 game season over the longer 162 game season no no I, I that 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 wouldn't be um you know it's not really my place to say what the best amount of games is honestly i am very appreciative of the fact that i have a great job for a great employer and i don't work 162 games mm -hmm. so when we work the 60 game season our vacations that we typically have built in where it, it it goes pretty much you work a month, you have a week off. That's the, the regular season. So in a regular season, I'll work 110 games about. So the 60 game season, we didn't have any vacation time. So I worked 60. So really it was just, it was a similar amount of games in a shorter period of time. But uh, my preference is to do whatever, whatever baseball does. You know, it, it does, it truly doesn't matter to me if it's 60 games or 160 games uh you know i will do whatever they they are able to do whatever they're able to get to fit in so um speaking of some games that you've umpired um obviously this past year you were an umpire during the world series 
Could you kind of walk us through what that atmosphere is like and how that differentiates from just a normal regular season or even postseason game? Sure, sure. Uh, the Well, it was my first World Series, so uh, it was getting the phone call was in and of itself an experience, just uh, being able to check that off the list of career accomplishments. That's something that, that everybody mm-hmm. strives for, and um, unfortunately, not everybody is able to actually work one. So uh, getting that accomplishment behind me is very, it's very nice. It's a good feeling. It's, it's a reassuring feeling that I am doing good and, and working hard and my efforts are being recognized. Um, as far as walking on the field, you're very astute to point out the fact that it is definitely different from a regular season uh, game and even other postseason where it's more of an international stage. It's not just a, a national stage. You realize in the World Series, these games are being broadcast across the world and there's millions of eyes on it. Uh, when when you walk the field before game one and you see that they have the, the European market set up, they have the Asian market set up, um, they've got the Australian market and the, the, you know, the Mexican market, you're just looking, you're like, wow, this is, this is a big operation. And mm-hmm. it's just a different animal. And the scrutiny is, is that much more, which is a challenge. You know, that's, that's kind of the fun part of the job when you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to go out there and do what I've been trained to do and do it well. And when you do it well, and you're not a topic of conversation, you walk off, you feel pretty good. You're like, that was, you know, I did it. It was an accomplishment, mm-hmm. you know? So how do they decide what umpires will be going into the World Series? Uh, you know, that's something that uh, it's kind of an unknown unless you work in the commissioner's office. I don't know exactly what the the conversations are like, but I know that the supervisor staff, that they supervise the umpire staff, they meet with um, with the upper management who run the department. And ultimately, the decision comes from the commissioner's office as to who is selected. So I think there's a, a, a few different um you know, hurdles that you have to overcome and, and the list gets shorter and shorter uh, as they start, you know, withering down to, to the, the seven people that they select. But uh, I know seniority plays a factor to a certain extent. Um, they, they like to have some be, you know, their first World Series. They like to have others be their second and your more senior guys, it's their third or their fourth. So in my instance, we had um, one uh ted barrett i think it was his fifth alfonso marquez's i think it was his fourth um and tom hallian it was his second ron culpa it was his second and then it was my first chris conroy's first and mike malinsky's first which was really cool to share that with with two other guys being their first uh, Mm um guys that i came through the minor leagues with so it was it was a really great experience but it makes the short the offseason go really quickly like i'm i'm shocked that we're already halfway through january this is crazy yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you kind of so, mentioned, oh, or Grant, you can take this one. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations on umping World Series. That's a huge deal. Um, just for the regular MLB season, as I understand it, there's 19 separate like umpire crews. Like, how are the different crews decided, and like, uh, how do they decide like what, like how each uh, crew gets like their different schedule and like are they completely randomized or just have something to do with the specific people in the crews it's okay so that's a another great question so there's 19 crew chiefs that's the way it starts 
So you have 19 crew chiefs that are ranked by order of seniority of crew chiefs. So whoever the most senior crew chief is, is, is number one. And then all the way down to 19, who's the most recent crew chief. And so those crew chiefs will submit six names every year of guys that they want to work with. So they'll, they'll send in and say, I would like to work with these six people. Now, obviously there's only four guys on a crew, so they're submitting six names. Uh, the goal for Major League Baseball is to give them at least two of the six names that they select. So they'll go through and if if I'm requested on more than one sheet, uh, they'll say, okay, Dan Bellino's requested by three different crew chiefs and, and they'll kind of mix and match and see where I fit in and, and how they put the crew together seniority wise because you don't want to have the crew be too young and you don't want to have it too old. You kind of balance it out where... I'm in that middle of the road where I can be a, a two man or a three man in seniority, um, you know, having 13 years where there's new hires that are typically going to be your four man, your, your low guys on, on the crew. Um, but so that's the first step that goes in. Then the office will plug the holes of where they need to plug them because they do try to put crews together based on, as I mentioned, experience uh, where you live. You know, similar interests. If somebody lives on the East Coast and a crew chief's on the West Coast, they don't necessarily want to put them together because the crew chiefs get to pick the schedules by seniority. So the number one crew chief mm -hmm. picks the schedule first. He has 19 schedules in front of him and he gets to pick whichever one he wants. Now, most crew chiefs will talk to their crew and yeah. say, take a look and tell me what you think, like which ones you like. But ultimately, the decision is the crew chiefs as to what schedule he chooses. Mm -hmm. So having a crew chief that that values his opinion, the opinion of his coworkers and his crewmates. That's obviously the, the, the best way to do it and how most guys do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely didn't realize that there was that much that went into picking the umpire crew. So then you stick with that crew for the, the entirety mm -hmm. of the season then and travel yes. with them. Barring injury or uh, if there's an injury on another crew where they might move guys around because they try not to put fill-ins uh, on the same crew you know, two fill-ins on one crew. So if we're down a guy for an injury and somebody else gets hurt, they'll probably move another full-time guy in from a crew that has four full-time guys. Uh, they just try to keep the balance. So we're never too inexperienced on the field, which is mm -hmm. smart. It, it's really smart to do it that way because we are constantly training the next crop of umpires and, and it's an on-the-job training type situation. So you have to really cultivate the the skill set of these individuals and you know there's there's some changes coming i know there's a few um a few women in the minor leagues that are they're on the cusp of of getting to where they're going to get some looks to to be on a big league field i think that day's coming sooner than we know i think it's going to be here before we know it and i'm excited mm -hmm. about it it's going to be really cool yeah well i just saw um the other day the first woman manager got uh signed yeah. i can't remember what team it was yeah it's the in tampa with the yankees yeah, that's who it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely cool to see that that progress. Well, um, it's, it's different. I mean, the game evolves. So yeah. mm -hmm. it's, it, it's never good in any industry to, to remain stagnant. And particularly in professional sports, it's, you want to you wanna appeal to so many different demographics. And, and you want everybody to understand that if it's something that they love and they're passionate about, they can obtain it too. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't foresee a change, uh, you know, it, it changing where women will be playing baseball. Um, you know, that would take somebody that's incredibly gifted at, at baseball, but 
honestly, man or woman, you got to be incredibly gifted to play at the yeah. big league level. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's just a it's a freakishly you know good ability wise talent that uh, not a lot of people possess. Mm-hmm. And then to be able to work your way through the minors and all the way up to the majors, and you know, be able to um, take that opportunity and be able to make a career out of it is just something that not a lot of people are able to do either. So, yeah, it's it's definitely unique, and it is a family. There's a baseball family. It does exist where mm-hmm. people that were very protective of each other. And outsiders that that uh, you know ever try to infiltrate or go after somebody, it, it's it, it's not received well, um, you know. But internally, we all stay in our lane and do our job and and keep the show going because ultimately it's an entertainment business, and we have to keep the on-field product uh, doing, you know, coming across well. So I think there's going to be some changes coming. Um, let's hope they're for the good, for the betterment of the game. Um, you know, hopefully we play a little faster and stuff like that. But um, anytime you ch- make changes, you just don't, you can't uh, account for all possibilities. So there's always a chance that there's a, a change that results in something that you're not necessarily uh, happy with. And then you have to go back and kind of reverse it. Mm-hmm. And um, so speaking of changes, obviously, Right now, the with the MLB lockout and the whole everything with the contracts and the players' association, um, all that going on. What are your thoughts on that? Like, could you tell us anything that you might know about it? Or how well, I could tell you. I mean, what I know is is that both sides are very passionate about their position, and it, it's. I don't fault. Uh, I don't fault anybody for advocating to to better what they believe is going to be in the best interest of the game. I think that the powers that be both with the players union and with major league baseball, they have some pretty smart people that are working through the issues. I I believe they will come to a resolution. Um, I hope that it's sooner, you know, rather than later. I hope it's, they don't wait to the last minute just because I would hate to see the the possibility of missing any games because I don't think fans um, want to see any games missed. I think that baseball is needed mm-hmm. right now more than ever. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that everyone keeps that in perspective and they understand that that uh, coming to an amicable resolution is in everyone's best interest. But as far as the specifics of what they're bargaining over, I, I honestly don't know. I, I just know what I read in the paper, just like everybody else. And uh, you know, I, I'm sure that the big issues probably aren't even in the paper. They're probably confidential. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what's important to the players and what's important to the to the owners is always something that that uh, they're going to disagree on, um, you know, in the sense that they they're obviously figuring out ways to run a business. So there's always different ideas and employee employer relationships are always strained at certain points, but hopefully they'll work through it. And I, I believe they will, because everyone is you know, when they when they break it down, they're all pulling on the same side of the rope. You know, we have mutual interests, and so I think they'll they'll figure it out. Yeah, and I especially coming after or coming off of the uh, shortened COVID season and everything that happened with that, I think everyone can agree it'd be pretty uh, terrible to miss a season or even just miss a portion of the season because of because of this. But yeah. as you mentioned, it it you do want everyone to be happy at the end of the day and reach some sort of agreement on it. 
Yeah, ter- terrible is a, you know, it's, it's hard to classify it as terrible because it's, it's business. And it, even though it's a game, we're playing a game and it's, it's a lot of, it's a kid's game and we're all lucky enough to still be part of it. It's still a business and they're, they're trying to, to get this product out there and it's not easy. It's, it's not easy for the players, the commitment that it takes for a player to work his way up to the major league level. Uh, you know, that commitment and the sacrifices that they and their families make. And then, you know, consequently management, they, they're asked to invest a lot of money in, in these players and, um, you know, not every investment pans out. So I, I think there's really strong arguments on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then adding on to that, how do the umpires like relate to the MLB shutout? Or are they even like related at all? And how does like the major league uh, umpire association bargain like separately as opposed to like the players association? Like what are their relationships to, you know, MLB as opposed to the players? Okay. So the lockout itself doesn't involve us in the sense that they're, they're missing time, um, you know, where they can't access their facilities. Mm -hmm. As far as us, our our union, we're business as usual. We've gotten our schedules for spring training. Uh, everything is is plugging along. We're in the middle of doing crew selections right now, so I should be finding out here soon who my crew is for the year, uh, my crew chief. And then our annual meetings in Arizona, they were scheduled for the end of this month. They pushed them back a couple of weeks just because of the, the spike in the Omicron virus. Yeah. Um, but we're moving along business as usual. So as far as we're concerned, we're reporting to spring training like normal. Um, as, regarding our collective bargaining agreement, our collective bargaining agreement was negotiated going into the 2020 season. So it's a five-year deal. So we have a, a contract in place that's through 2024. So our next contract, it's similar to the players where we have union leadership that meet with the owners and uh, they negotiate another five-year deal. So it's it's a separate contract altogether. It, it They are not relying on the players and not intermingled at all. So we're three completely separate entities, the owners, the players, and then the umpires are three totally separate groups. Okay. So the players and the umpires bargain for, for their things separately. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, so kind of pivoting a little bit, um, recently this, this past season, we saw a crackdown on pitchers using foreign substances, um, with, the umpires having to do regular checks on the pitchers after every inning. What do you have any, like, can you kind of tell us was that what that was all about and what it was like as an umpire having to regulate that, that sort of thing? Sure. It was, it was a challenge. Players are always looking for ways to, to gain competitive advantages. And uh, as an umpire, I always like to say that that's my job security, that, our job is to make sure that the game is played fairly. So if, if there's something that's happening, that's giving pitchers a competitive advantage over hitters or vice versa hitters over pitchers, it's our job to, to be the eyes and ears of the commissioner's office on the field and, and to fix it. So in this particular instance, uh, the science behind the, the, the spider tack on the ball and the spin rates and, you know, that's way over my head as far as, is what the spin rate, the velocity and all that is. I came up with the miles per hour. You just see a guy's throwing hundred miles an hour and everyone oohs and ahs at the, at the, you know, miles per hour gun on the, on the scoreboard. Well, now that spin rate is, is off the chart 
and the balls doing things that it normally wouldn't do, it created an unfair advantage for the pitchers. And that was coming out in a way where you're seeing a, a much higher rate of strikeouts. And it really wasn't in the best interest of the game because batting averages were dropping, balls in play were dropping, and strikeouts were up. So for hitters, professional hitters, they were they were kind of in, in a tough spot because they need to hit the ball and they're fighting for their careers. And so when they start complaining that they see a pitcher who's who's putting a foreign substance on the ball and we don't see it with the naked eye, the only way we could possibly do that is by checking them. And in years past, it was you would only check them if they would bring it up. If the other team would say, hey, can you go check the pitcher? But that always resulted in if we check their pitcher, then their team is going to say, now check the other team's pitcher. And then it kind of led to a, uh, you know, like if you if you report on our guy, we're going to report on your guy. So there was kind of a gentleman's understanding of we won't say anything, you don't say anything, but who suffers would be the, the hitters. So I think the players union finally recognized that some substances were being used that were really giving too much of an advantage. And, uh, you know, when we went in and we checked them, we were looking for anything on there that was sticky that could that could change the spin rate on the ball. And I think there were only two instances that something was actually found and those players were suspended. So once they knew they were being checked, I think they significantly cut back on what they were doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what do you think it was about this season in particular? Because obviously foreign substances, not necessarily spider tech, but just foreign substances in general aren't necessarily new to the game. Um, I think it's been it's probably been going on for a while now. What do you think it was about this season in particular that pitchers really started utilizing it more often and the MLB started cracking down on it more? I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's that uh, you know somebody drew attention to it and just saw tremendous success. I know that there's a few names of pitchers out there that they were pretty bold about their opinion on the subject and, and yeah. talking about the advantages that it that it brought. Uh, I, I don't this is going to sound kind of crazy, but for umpires, we don't really pay attention to, to that stuff. Uh, we don't pay attention to who's pitching. We don't, we don't look at who's playing other than when I get the lineup cards, I look to see who's catching because I obviously am working closely with the catcher. So I want to see who's catching, but who's pitching that really doesn't matter to me. Who's playing in the field doesn't really matter. Um, you know, before a game, we don't prep that way. Uh, but I would say this this past year, for whatever reason, it just it got a little too aggressive. And I think that everyone kind of agreed that there needed to be a change. And like I said, it's it's my job security because there's no other way to enforce it without the umpires doing it. So it's reassuring to me that they have us doing it because we want to make sure that we maintain that role of being the the law enforcement on the field. You know, keep yeah. Moving, keep the game playing, but uh, keep the attention off us. Just make sure it's fair. As long as they're not cheating, we're good. Yeah, and I think that's something that just as a fan, it's very hard to comprehend. Um, just the fact that you're looking at this more as work and, like you mentioned, job security. Um, it's just it's something that, like I said, it's tough to kind of fathom just because if I were down there doing something, I would just be – like you mentioned, paying attention to all the players and all the pitchers. Um, and so it's definitely just a different view, viewpoint of this problem. Like you said, well, you know, you're not paying attention to 
what's going it, on outside of it. It's just, a, it's a job really. Yeah. It changes at first. When you first get to the big league level, it's the lights are brighter and the stage is bigger and, and you're, you have that off factor, you know, where it's like, man, I'm, I'm on the big stage. Uh, but over time it, it becomes a little more normal. And my wife will say it to me all the time when I, when I have uh, friends that come to a game and they have their kids, my kids take it for granted that after a game, they'll sit in the stands, I'll change, come out and my kids will go run the bases or run through the outfield. And, you know, I, I say to my kids, the first time I ever took a step on a big league field is when I umpired my first big league game. Uh, the first time my kids took a step on a big league field is when they were able to take their first steps. You know, it, it, that's mm -hmm. kind of crazy when you look at it like that, because my kids think it's normal to go run the bases at Wrigley. That's, that's really not normal. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a really cool perk that after a game, the groundskeepers will be like, yeah, go ahead and run the bases. And man, I would have loved to do that at their age. But when the game's being played, we, we aren't, we're just trained to kind of tune out who it is and what they're doing. And just, we kind of see Jersey colors and uh, you know, it becomes very binary ball strike safe out. Uh, it, it's a, it's just a matter of getting your plays and your pitches, right? Cause if you get it wrong, there's a high level of scrutiny that comes with it. And if you get it wrong consistently um, it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going back to the sticky substance kind of controversy, what are your thoughts on the position where some pitchers were saying, I think spider tack is different because that's an extreme example, but some pitchers are saying, especially in cold weather, that they rely on like a little bit of sticky stuff to some extent because without at least a little bit of it, they lose control of the ball and that might lead to some safety issues or even, you know, some, you know, some problems with their wrist. Do you think there's a place for sticky stuff at all in some respects in MLB if it was somehow mandated and kept track of like maybe like a universal uh, substance that all pitchers can use? Or do you just think there's absolutely no place in baseball for foreign substances for pitchers? No, I think that there's a place for it. I mean, we've always had the rosin bag. Yeah. And the rosin is, is very sticky. It's a lot stickier than most people realize, especially when you combine it with, with like uh, uh suntan lotion. Yeah. But, uh, I think that there's certainly some truth to the fact that there's a safety benefit to having more control. Um, I don't know. I've never, I've never been a pitcher, so I, I couldn't tell you firsthand if I think that it's that big of a difference. I think there's probably some truth to it, uh, whether or not it's, it's uh, entirely accurate. Maybe it's blown out of proportion. I, I really wouldn't be qualified enough to say. Um, but I'm all for safety. I'm all for, I've been on the field when I've seen, uh, hitters get hit in the head and I'm all for doing anything that avoids yeah. that because there's nothing worse than seeing somebody take a, a 98 mile an hour fastball right to the head. It's, it's a horrible sound, a horrible, you know, outcome. When you look at it, you're just like, Oh my God, it's, I mean, it's such a, that ball comes so fast and does so much damage. Mm -hmm. So I'm all for safer. If, if, if safer, if, if they are able to, to prove to everybody that, yes, it's safer, I think there will be a place for it. Mm -hmm. So um, you mentioned briefly before Grant's question, the idea of umpires messing up. And, you know, obviously it's part of the game. It's just the human error aspect of it. Do you think that the talk about any, like, sort of robotic or um, – 
automated system in terms of managing a game. Do you think that'll ever like come to come to the field, or do you think that umpires will be around for the rest of the game? Yeah, I. Well, listen, that that's kind of the million dollar question right now, and to be really honest with you, I don't know. I don't know if it's. Do I think the technology is going to get there? I'd say most likely it will, uh, but there's still going to be a margin of error. Uh, it'll never be perfect. It'll never be 100%, which unfortunately there's a group of you know fans that think that it is 100% and it's just not. I know it's not. The internal data, we know it's not 100% accurate. There are still pitches that are missed. Um, I, th- I think the human element is good for the game. I'm also biased. I like the challenge of going out there and calling a game and calling it well. Uh, I think that there's some some concern if we make it electronic that it's going to take away some of the the you know genuineness of the game. It's going to because let me ask you guys this question. This is this is actually a good question to ask to young fans. Do you think playing baseball in high school, playing little league, uh, playing college, at what level do you say, okay, we're going to switch over to the automatic? You know, what level do you, do you say we go away from the kids game of having an umpire calling balls and strikes? You you guys tell me what level do you say, okay, now we, now we got to take it seriously. Now we got to do it with a machine. I mean, I think, I think it's tough. You can't really, decipher obviously that's all up to the players and the parents to a certain extent um but personally i don't think that robotic umpires should ever make it to the to the mlb or any level for that matter um like you mentioned i think it just the human the human aspect of the game is just something that in my opinion makes the game more interesting to watch i think when the game starts to get robotic where every call whether it's a hundred percent or not, I think it, it just takes away an element of the game that most people really enjoy. And I think like the question you brought up, it'd be really tough to decipher where you want to start implementing, you know, start taking away human umpires and implementing some sort of automatic system. Yeah. And there's, I don't think you can ever do away with umpires. There's always going to be judgment calls. There's going to be, check swings, there's going to be obstruction, interference. There's there's going to be those situations that you need to have an umpire there. But my point in what I'm trying to illustrate is if you're if you're striving to play in the big leagues and you play in, in travel ball, you've got a human umpire. Then you go to high school, you've got a human umpire. Then you go to college and now do you say okay if you're if you're playing at a, a division 2 division 3 school you got a human umpire but division 1 you need to have the electronic because division 1 is most likely to go to professional or do you say all college should be human umpire and then in the minor leagues is a ball not as important as double a AA and triple a i mean all of these questions come into play and then at the end of the day you're talking about a lot of different ballparks that have to be calibrated and then you have to set the, the the lines on every individual hitter and the lines are based on their, their hitting stance. And it's like, man, this, this gets really complicated in a hurry. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, I don't think it's broke because our, as a staff, our staff average 
is I think it was 97.3% correct. And that's not a number that gets shared publicly because we're not in the business of, of advocating, you know, how good the umpires are. That's just not what we do. We just do our job, but the internal numbers are 97.3% were correct. So it's just that, that 2.7% that we're trying to, to capture. And if a machine is making an error and not, not registering more than three pitches out of every hundred, then what margin of error are you willing to, to live with? Yeah, mm -hmm. I definitely agree. I don't think there is a place for robotic umpires really anywhere in baseball. I think instant replay is enough for covering plays that, you know, have a certain amount of value that really needs to be looked at. But I think that one, there definitely needs to be a human element of baseball that's, you know, preserved. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about baseball. And two, when you get to the major league, you know, level, I think the umpires are, you know, very accurate in the first place. So I don't really think there's much room, like you said, for improvement. And I just don't think, like you said, the margin of error with the technology is worth taking away that human aspect of the game at all. So I think robo robotic umpires should not come to baseball at all. Yeah. And I, I appreciate you guys saying that. I mean, it's all, obviously I'm, I'm a little biased, but I think the majority of, of, uh, the broadcasters that you see talking about it and pushing it, a lot of them have interests in companies that are, uh, you know, pushing to, to be implemented. So they're telling you that this is great. This is the way, you know, this is the wave of the future. And then you find out that they have an ownership stake in, in a company that's, that's creating the camera technology. And it's like, well, you really shouldn't be telling everybody your opinion if your opinion is is based on your financial gains. You know, mm -hmm. it's to me that's a, that's a big indicator that this in you know whoever these individuals are that they they have an agenda, and the agenda should always be what's in the best interest of the game. If that's if that's everyone's intent to do what's in the best interest of the game, everything's going to be fine. Then we're gonna we're gonna keep doing what we're doing, and the the product's gonna be a good product, and the games are gonna be entertaining, and you know the players are gonna thrive, and and the fans are gonna be happy. But if you start chipping away at that little by little, I think you're gonna lose some of the fan base, and I think that's that's something that everyone is very conscious of. And you got to keep the game interesting. You got to keep it fun for the the young ones. Like my boys love baseball, they love it, and I would hate to see them say, well. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to watch a big league game because it's not the same as the game that I play. Yeah. You know, that's, mm -hmm. you don't want that. You want them to watch the game. You want them to say like, yeah, that's that's just like when I'm on the field. They want to be mm -hmm. able to relate to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, talking about keeping the game entertaining, beyond the possible change of robotic umpires, which I think we all agree on, do you think there are any changes that the MLB MLB could make to the game that would possibly you know, shorten game times by a little bit because, you know, lately game time's been getting pretty long or just ways to kind of shorten those breaks in between pitches to, you know, make the games a little shorter because they have, like, over the years on average, they've been, you know, going up every single year. Yeah, I think that that's the goal of what they're trying to figure out now, whether it be a pitch clock. Yeah. Um, but the, we, we now keep the batters in the box. So if, if they don't swing at a pitch, um, you know, they, they don't – they're – they try to keep a foot in the box. We make them keep a foot in the box. Uh, there really is no penalty. You just remind them, hey, keep a foot in the box. Um, pitchers, if you put a pitch clock out there, uh, will it speed them up? I mean, possibly. But then, 
you have to be aware of what the penalty is going to be. Yeah. So that's always the, the question. Whatever rule you put in to speed up the game, what's the penalty and how's it going to then affect? Are, are you going to call the ball? Are you going to start putting runners on base that mm-hmm. because the pitcher took too long? I mean, so it's if you can convince everybody, pitchers, batters, you know, fielders that the game needs to move faster, it's really better than forcing it to happen. If it happens organically where everyone just agrees like, hey, let's go, you know, let's. I know fielders prefer to have the pitchers work fast. Mm-hmm. I know they don't like standing, you know, a minute and a half in between pitches because they become complacent. They they get flat on their feet too. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's kind of it's kind of a gray area because you want to maybe implement something that speeds up the game, but at least in my opinion, you don't want to implement something that would affect the outcome of the game. Um, like you mentioned, you know, you want it to happen organically rather than having to implement some sort of penalty for, you know, a pitcher going over the pitch clock or a batter stepping out of the, the batter's box. And so I think it's it's kind of tough because, you know, baseball is one of the only sports with no clock. Yeah. Um, yeah. So well, we, do it's a, really, we, have a, we have a clock in between innings and we have a clock as far as challenging plays. So there is a there is a clock in that regard. Uh, but, you know, what I'd, I'd like to see – uh, maybe maybe you should, uh, cut the commercial breaks a little bit in between innings and do kind of like the, what the NFL does, where they have a screen, you know, screen and screen out of uh, commercial. Where okay, we're going to do a quick thirty second commercial break as opposed to having a, a three minute, you know, complete commercial break. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a way to to do it. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, as a as a fan, obviously, I'd be all for that. Yeah. Um, as because- long as as long as everyone's on board with it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I don't know if I like the idea of a pitch clock just because of the pitchers would have to adapt, and then if they somehow went over what the penalty would be, and that would kind of you know make the flow of the game awkward in that moment. And like, what do you do? I am you know in favor of them finding you know creative ways to shorten the game, but beyond just shortening the game, what are your thoughts? Uh, just proposals of like either banning the shift or like making all infielders like be standing like on the dirt, like by the time the pitch is thrown, what are your thoughts on those things? I, I personally would love to see the shift be eliminated. Yeah. I think, I think that there's uh, you know, the analytics are definitely have a, a big part in the game and, you know, teams are competing to, to win. Uh, I understand that. But to me, I was a basketball player and there was the, the the concept of zone defense that was banned in the NBA, and, and you know there's a there's a reason why the NBA back in the 80s and 90s you had lower scoring games and they were much more competitive because you couldn't play zone defense, you had man to man defense. And it, I think that if you required a third baseman to stay in a certain area in proximity of third base and shortstop, second base, first base, I think it would lead to to hitters that aren't just power hitters that are looking to, to punch the ball into holes and, and you just see a better, a better, uh, you know, result me personally. But um, I do understand pitching to, to somebody's strength and, and trying to say like, all right, we're, we're going to pitch it and you're going to hit it in that direction. We know it. So hit it as hard as you can. I mean, there's certainly that factor, but um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where the, the equal medium is. I have no idea. Yeah, because it's kind of obviously teams are going to continue to take in analytics and how they prepare for games, both as 
defensively and offensively. Um, so it's kind of tough to be able to tell, you know, what's what's too much to be able to do in terms of how they prepare and what they do in games, like, for example, with the shifts. And um, I don't know. It's kind of tough to yeah. to tell where, where you want to cut that off. Yeah, I personally think banning the shift outright might be a tough sell. But something I do think, you know, is fair it's just at least making the infielders you know stay in the infield because there's nothing more frustrating i'd imagine as a player when like you like hit it a, a single to the outfield and there's just this, the second baseman literally in the perfect place like in like you know shower right center and then just able to make the play the first so i think at least they should make the player stay on the infield dirt yeah and i think the the competition committee they they weigh all of these pros and cons yeah i mean I can make a strong argument as to why if, if you put your second baseman out there and you slide your shortstop and your third baseman over, why can't you just bunt all day? Yeah. Just bunt down the third mm-hmm. baseline. I mean, there's, that's, what we're, that's what we're saying from our TVs. <laughs> just bunt yeah. down the third I mean, baseline. You, well, but the reality is these, these hitters aren't paid to bunt. So yeah. mm-hmm. they're not going to get the big contract laying down 200 bunts a year, but they're going to get on base. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not – it's not as easy of a fix, but I do think that that your the fact that you guys have given it this much thought, I think, you know, is reassuring that the fans are thinking that way. I mean, I know you prepared for for this podcast today, which I'm impressed with your questions. You guys are you're on all the hot topics. Uh, well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, do you think that the the game is becoming more defensively minded? in terms of shifts and how pitchers are preparing, like we mentioned with the foreign substances. Um, do you think that's something that is negatively impacting the game? You know, obviously you're seeing lower scoring games, um, hitters not having as much success. Do you think that's something obviously with the foreign substance bans and all that, do you think there's anything else that the league should be or could be doing to help out hitters more? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they, they give them the iPads now in the dugout where they can go the following inning. They can look at, uh, pit at bats from, you know, pitches to previous at bats. So I, the technology's there. Um, it's just a way of making sure that they don't gain the competitive advantage and use the technology in real time. So I think they're giving them every opportunity to, you know, get better during the game and to, to make adjustments. I mean, you, this is you guys are asking the questions that I think the the competition committee is is battling over right now as to what is is the best, and I don't know that answer. I, I really don't. It's it's. I think there's a lot of aspects of it that we can make an argument on both sides for, and whatever they come up with, it's my job to be one of the people that enforce it. So I'll be just as interested as anybody to see what they come up with. I'm I'm certain there's going to be changes. Yeah. Uh, whether or not they're permanent or temporary or uh, they're positive or they have a negative impact, you know, that's to be, to be determined. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd find it hard to um, see all of the controversy surrounding these topics result in no changes to the game. I just, I can't really there, imagine. There has to be, but they're always going to try. Yeah. They're always going to try. So just from a fan perspective in watching the game over the past two years, I remember a few years ago, players were talking about, or at least especially pitchers were talking about how they suspected like the balls are juiced, like 
teams were like making home run records and in this year uh there was more of a defensive problem with pitchers you know there's a lot of strikeouts and they kind of adjust for that with the the foreign substance thing do you think there's a threat to baseball in respect with it's really becoming like either a home run or like a strikeout like i looking remember looking at some statistic and the home run in either 2020 or 2021 was almost as common as a double do you think the mlb needs to do something to almost incentivize players you know performing offensively that's not either a home run or a strikeout and you know getting back to those you know more intermediate offensive you know acts i do think that would be beneficial and i think that that's the goal of what they're trying to do get back to hitting doubles and triples and yeah. stealing bases you know making it where it's less you know feast or fame and you know home run or strikeout because yeah. home run strikeout is it's not as entertaining yeah it's the roar is is great on a home run but the game itself isn't meant to be played with one swing of the bat it's it's you know positioning and moving players and and advancing on the bases and all the strategy that comes with it you know bunting a runner across and those types of things so i do think that that's that's kind of the rub right now that everyone's working on. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you see these home run hitters getting paid these big contracts, if you've got the ability to hit home runs, you're yeah. going to want to hit home runs because you're going to want to get those big contracts. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. the, really the only thing that bothers me is just, well, a lot of things do in terms of the offense, but just players not trying to steal enough. Like, like I'll be talking with my dad watching, you know, the white Sox for the Cubs from home. And we'll be like, this is the perfect opportunity to steal. And then they just never do. I just feel like that's one aspect of the game I want to see a, a little more. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Listen, mm -hmm. stealing bases is exciting. I, I I was working the postseason in Tampa when the guy stole home plate. That was exciting. Yeah, that mm -hmm. was awesome. Great. You know, it's like, yeah. you just don't see that. And it's yeah. when you don't see it, you're like, man, and, and I, I had the best view of it. So you see something like that and you see it in a, in a 25 year old guy that's moving as fast as he was moving in that situation. You're like, man, that's exciting. That's really, yeah. that that's impactful. Uh, mm -hmm. Now it's not something, you know, he, he can't do it successfully on a regular basis because stealing home plate is really hard, but to do it when he did it. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the next time you see uh, Tim Anderson, can you just ask him to, to try to steal a couple more bags next season? Because <laughs> yeah, I definitely think he can steal. I can steal more bags. He can steal more bags than he did last season. I know that for a fact. So, <laughs> yeah, he's a hell of a, he's a hell of a player. He's, yeah, he's he's, he's fun yeah. to watch for sure. Yeah, as a Cubs fan, I hate him, but yeah, he should have. I got to respect him. He should have got gotten a bat in the All Star game last in twenty twenty one. But that's that's yeah. another. That's uh, another he'll game. have plenty. He'll be back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we'll be back well i appreciate right. it guys it was fun yeah we'll do it again sometime yeah thank, yeah, you, thank you so you much for coming, coming on so and much. taking some time out of your day to answer some questions so yeah you got it you guys keep doing right. good work right good thank job you. thank you thank you all right, all right. All right. Good see you talk soon. yep bye-bye bye bye thank you for tuning in to another episode of between the lines with your host john myers be sure to tune in next time when i'll be joined by another guest host and we'll be interviewing an athlete from prairie ridge high school so make sure to check that out to find out who the guest is and who we'll be interviewing. Thank you for sticking to the end, and I'll see you guys next time.